Good morning, Woodmont. Would you join me for prayer? Loving God, open our hearts and minds and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I want to begin this morning by saying happy Mother's Day to all of our uh, mothers, stepmothers, uh, grandmothers, great-grandmothers. Woodrow Wilson established Mother's Day back in the year 1914, and when he did that, uh, he signed a joint congressional statement that declared the American mother as the country's greatest source of strength and inspiration. And I think that President Wilson was right back then, and I think he's still right uh, today. Mothers play an irreplaceable role in the life of their family. Uh, There's a poem uh, that I love uh, that's dedicated to mothers. It says, when God created mothers, he had a perfect plan to fill each life with caring from the moment it began. He filled her thoughts with kindness and gave her gentle hands and made a heart so tender that forgives and understands. He gave her endless patience and strength to last for years. He built in lots of laughter and the healing grace of tears. And when the Lord was finished, he said, that's very, very good. And he placed each child safely in the arms of motherhood. Today, we also think about those who have lost their mothers. Their mothers have moved on from this world who may have a strained relationship with their mothers and those who long to be mothers, but who have still not been given that opportunity or that chance. But happy Mother's Day to our moms. Uh, I know many of you have been extra busy in recent weeks, uh, homeschooling your children. Uh, This past week, navigating life without any power at the house for uh, a few days. And so uh, you juggle so many things and today you deserve to be lifted up and celebrated. Today we're starting a brand new sermon series uh, that's going to focus on uh, the book of James. Uh, The series is called Resetting Faith in Anxious Times, and I invite you to join me in reading and studying this great epistle that we find later in uh, the New Testament after the, the book of Hebrews. I think James is a perfect letter for us as we begin to slowly reemerge from this quarantine period that we have been in over the past few months. James is a very short letter in the New Testament. Although there has been scholarly debate about the author of the letter, it's basically agreed upon that James, the half-brother of Jesus, was the author of this letter. He was the leader of the early church in Jerusalem, and this is one of the shortest and earliest letters that we find in the New Testament canon. Some people think that it was actually the earliest letter uh, that was written. It's a very practical book of the Bible that focuses on what it means to live a Christian life, what it means to have an authentic faith. Here are some of the themes that we find in James. Overcoming trials and tribulations, not treating people differently based on what they have or or don't have, putting our faith into action, living out our faith, taming the tongue, watching what we say 
and how we say it. Not giving into the ways of the world. Uh, living life in the present moment, one day at a time. Understanding the root source of conflict and anger in our lives and being patient in suffering. Those are some of the themes that we will address in the coming weeks as we make our way through James. You don't need a theological commentary to study this book of the Bible. It is very practical. It is very straightforward. It's a great guideline for how to put your faith into practice and why that's important and how our faith should play out every day in our interactions, in our words, in our deeds, uh, in how we treat other people. Uh, throughout history, there have been many people who did not like uh, the letter of James. They didn't like the fact that it was in the New Testament canon. Martin Luther uh, actually called this epistle the epistle of straw because he didn't think it was evangelical enough. He didn't want it in the New Testament. Uh, some believe that it stood in direct contrast to Paul's fundamental teaching that we are saved by grace through faith because James says in chapter 2 that faith without works is dead. But the truth of the matter is we need both. We need authentic faith, and authentic faith always leads to action. If you want to better understand what it means to be a person of faith, if you want to better understand how to become a spiritually mature person, then this letter is for you. It's full of wisdom. It's full of practical advice. James is a moral exhortation of how to actively live the Christian life. James is more theocentric than Christocentric, which is why some people have a problem with it. But James is a powerful epistle. It is uncompromising in its demand for a clear rejection of the world. It has a consistent commitment to understanding the reality of our lives as measured by God. It is one of the most ecumenical letters that we find in the New Testament. And it's a letter that is grounded in social ethics that leads to a call to action. So today we begin in chapter one where James says this, whenever you face trials of any kind, Consider it nothing but joy because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. You know, Mother's Day has always been a little bit difficult for me because uh, I lost my mother uh, almost 15 years ago uh, to suicide. And many of you know that, and I've told you that over the years. And so on Mother's Day, I, I think about her a lot, and uh, I reflect upon the years that uh, I got to spend with her and the many things that she, she taught me and the things that I learned from her. Um, that happened right after I finished seminary and I was ordained into the ministry. And I went into the ministry because I felt called to help people. Um, life is hard. Life is difficult. Life beats us up and life brings us things that we didn't see coming and life will level us when we least expect it. Over the past few months, all of us have had to struggle through this pandemic. 
We've had to adapt. We've had to make adjustments. We've had to homeschool our children and work from home. We've had to stay away from many of the people that we love and that we're used to seeing. We've had to practice social distancing. We've had to be very careful when we go out in public. And many of those things are going to continue even as we start to slowly reemerge from quarantine. But it's been stressful. We've had to live in a different way, different from what we're used to. James begins the epistle by saying, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. You know, it's times like this when we build endurance and we form character it's times like this that, that really make us who we are. And we will come out of this season, whether we realize it now or not, we will come out of this season stronger than we were before we went into it. Harold Kushner, the, the great Jewish rabbi, says, to feel better about yourself, find somebody to help. Uh, Kushner says, that is the Bible's prescription for finding your way out of despair. Find someone you can take by the hand and guide that person to a better place. And you will not only help that person, but you will also help yourself. You will make yourself feel stronger by reaching out to somebody else. You know, helping others on a regular basis is how we put our faith into action. You remember a couple of weeks ago, we had a food drive at Campbell West where we partnered with the Nashville Food Project and everybody brought food, uh, you know, uh, 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 olive oil and non-perishable food. And, and we did a food drive and the Nashville Food Project took that and distributed it out into this community. Well, next Sunday, May the 17th, we're going to do another food drive. But this time we're not partnering with the Food Project. We're actually partnering with Second Harvest to, to do a food drive to help some of the families in the Nashville Metro Public Schools. Um, there are many children who, who only get healthy meals when they go to school. And since schools have not been meeting, a lot of children in this community, a lot of families in this community have been struggling to find uh, healthy food to eat. And so I hope next week, I believe it's going to go most of the day at Campbell West that you'll participate in our next food drive because that is a way to serve and to help uh, people in our community who are vulnerable and who are struggling. That's a way that we can give back collectively as a church. Secondly, if we continue in chapter one, James talks about trials and temptations. Uh, he says, God does not do the tempting. One is tempted by one's own desires and that desire gives birth to sin. What are the things in life that tempt us? You know, there are many things, and it's different for every person. What, what one person struggles with might be very different from what another person struggles with on a regular basis. I've always been intrigued by what Mahatma Gandhi uh, once referred to as the seven blunders of the world. You remember Gandhi famously said that he would have been a Christian if it weren't for all the Christians, which is a very interesting uh, a comment. Uh, but, but Gandhi talked about these blunders, and I think that they still speak to our modern world. They still speak to the, the time in which we live. What are those seven blunders? The first is wealth without work. This could be defined as getting something for nothing. 
Think of Wall Street scandals, Ponzi schemes, shady business deals. Also think about able bodies who just choose to work the system. Ours is a get-rich-fast culture, and many are not willing to work hard in the process, and they do the bare minimum to get by, and they want to reap the rewards without paying the price. The second blunder that he talked about was pleasure without conscience. It's a culture that's obsessed with sex and sexuality. More and more children are now born out of wedlock, which often leads to many other problems. Many believe if it feels good, then just go and do it. Worry about the consequences later. You know, many of our educational problems often originate with the breakdown of the family, with children being born into very difficult situations where they don't have a responsible parent. And teachers can only do so much if they don't have support from the parents at home. The third blunder that Gandhi acknowledged was knowledge without character. I don't care how smart you are, if you don't have character, then what do you have? There is an abundance of knowledge in this culture, but is there any wisdom? And remember, wisdom and knowledge, those two things are not the same. There are many people who have a lot of knowledge, but they don't have a lot of wisdom. There's many people who know a lot of data and they read a lot of books, but they can't translate that into wise living. Bernard of Clairvaux once said, there are those who seek knowledge for the sake of knowledge, and that is curiosity. There are those who seek knowledge to be known by others, that is vanity. There are those who seek knowledge in order to serve, that is love. Are we growing and loving while we are learning? Are we doing anything productive with the knowledge that we have? The fourth blunder is commerce without morality. How are your employees treated? Are they paid a fair wage and shown respect? It is, is it possible to succeed in business and treat people fairly? I think it is. And many people have done that and continue to do that. Jesus said, what good is it for a person to gain the whole world but forfeit their soul? There's more to life than just chasing the almighty dollar. There's more to life than, than money and status. And the people that have spent years or decades chasing that and they finally get that, they realize that that's not what life is all about. The fifth blunder, science without humanity. The technological advances in the medical world are astounding. It becomes tempting for humans to think that they can play God. Science should strengthen our faith, but it cannot get ahead of our humanity. The sixth wonder, worship without sacrifice. As our culture becomes more individualized and, and also when our fear increases, like it has in recent weeks, sacrificing to help others may seem like a foreign concept. Many choose to just worship self. We call this narcissism. Uh, David Brooks says this, he says, over the past several decades, we have built a moral ecology around the big me, around the belief of a golden figure inside. This has led to a rise in narcissism and self-aggrandizement. But Jesus taught deny self. How popular is that in this culture? Lastly, the seventh blunder that Gandhi 
identifies as politics without principle. What are we willing to stand up for and speak up for? What issues really matter to us? You know, do moderates still have a place at the table or have they been drowned out by the extremists on, on both sides? That bothers me, that people who are more in the middle don't seem to have a voice in our culture. When do we quit fighting and, and learn to compromise and work together? You know, government and leadership have always required compromise. Uh, Gandhi once offered this very simple prayer. He said, I offer you peace. I offer you love. I offer you friendship. I see your beauty. I see your need. I feel your feelings. My wisdom flows from the highest source. I salute that source that is also in you. Let us work together for unity and love. And yes, we need more unity and love in this world in which we live. Lastly, this morning, James says this. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. For your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. Be doers of the word, James says, and not merely hearers who only deceive themselves. Now, I think that James talks about anger in this epistle because Jesus talked a lot about anger. Jesus taught a lot about anger. Anger is a human emotion that we all have to deal with. You know, some people deal with it better than others. I've preached many sermons over the years here at Woodmont on the subject of anger because I think everybody deals with it uh, to some level. And, and so uh, you find it throughout the Bible, throughout the, uh, the entire Bible, but we all experience it. Every human being deals with anger on some level, uh, some people more than others. But anger affects our physical, our mental, our emotional, and our spiritual well-being. And when we get angry, we will do and say things that we regret but that we can't take back. Doctors will tell you that anger leads to high blood pressure and incredible stress and an inability to focus and relax. Can also lead to heart attacks and strokes and, and, and even cancer and headaches, stomach aches, rapid heart rate, shakiness, dizziness. Emotional symptoms include being sad or depressed or guilty, anxious. Anger has also been known to make people overly sarcastic where they lose their sense of, of humor and they can't laugh and they take everything too seriously. It causes people to, to drink too much, smoke too much, you know, anger has always been tied to fear. It's always been tied to fear. So the question is not, will we experience anger in life? Of course we will experience anger. The question is, how do we deal with our anger? How do we deal with it in a healthy way? Somebody once published a list of 10 powerful ways for dealing with anger, and I love this list, and I've come back to it. The first is when you're angry, say nothing for a while. Then try to be indifferent to those who wish to make you angry. Use reason to stop your anger. Look kindly upon others, cut them some slack. Value peace in your life more than anger. Always try to understand those who are critical and don't just try to defend yourself. Focus on something completely different. Breathe deeply, take deep breaths, which is great advice during this 
uh, COVID-19 time. Meditate, reflect, and pray, and then smile. Even when you don't feel like it, smile. And that can be contagious for other people. Henry Nouwen, a great spiritual author, says this in his daily devotional book called Bread for the Journey. He says, how do we befriend our inner enemies, lust and anger? Listen to what they are saying. They say, I have some unfulfilled needs and who really loves me? Instead of pushing our lust and anger away as unwelcome guests, we can recognize that our anxious driven hearts need some healing. Our restlessness calls for us to look for the true inner rest where lust and anger can be converted into a deeper way of loving. You know, there's a lot of unruly energy when it comes to anger. When that energy can be directed towards loving well, we can transform not only ourselves, but also those who might otherwise be the victims of our anger. And this takes patience, but it's possible. Father Richard Rohr uh, talks about the opposite of being centered in life or being spiritual. Uh, He talks about this in his book, Everything Belongs, and he says this. He says, the most obvious indication of a non-centered or non-spiritual person is that they are, frankly, difficult to deal with. Every one of their ego boundaries must be defended, negotiated, or worshiped. Their reputation, their needs, their nation, their security. Ego becomes the problem. Life must revolve around them. Everything has to go their way. Those who are always at odds with other people have something bigger that's going on inside of their hearts. James concludes chapter one by saying this. He says, if any think that they are religious and do not bridle their tongues, but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. James gives us so much to think about when it comes to our faith and to our spiritual life. And I'm looking forward to this series, this journey, as we make our way through this powerful epistle. Would you join me in prayer? Loving God, open our hearts so that we can hear these words from James and apply them to our lives. Help us to grow, help us to learn, help us to always do what we can each day to be better followers of Christ. Amen.